Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I am your host, Lori LeBay, and my mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and that's why I've created Alzheimer's Speaks. We are about lifting everyone's voice and helping people get connected to all the services, products, and tools that are out there. Because let me tell you, there's a lot, but just so many people don't know about them. So each show, we interview somebody from around the world. They could be a person diagnosed. They could be a family member. They could be a business professional, an advocate, a researcher, a movie director, a singer-songwriter, or an author like we have today. And so maybe, just maybe, you could be our next guest. Now, today is a live show, and so you can call in with any questions or comments that you would have. That is 323 877-4602-323-877-4602. Because we would love to hear your thoughts. Now, before I introduce our guest, I just want to give a shout out to Artist Senior Living in Wilmette in Illinois. I'm going to be doing a survival, a caregiver survival camp for them that is virtual. And it is free for anyone to register. It'll be Tuesday, March 23rd, between 5.30 and 6.30. Now, that's central time. So if you're Eastern time, it would be 6.30 to 7.30 and so forth. And you can call to register at 224-408-3152. That is 224-408-3152. Now, normally I do some other shout-outs, but I want to get started with this conversation. We're going to take a a break midway, and then I will do some some other shout-outs, because I think that there are just some other companies that you need to hear about as well. Um, But first, we're going to be talking today about navigating dementia and realizing that this is not a simple journey, um, but we're here to give you tips and hope. And we are lucky to have with us um, Pam Ostrowski, who is the author um, of the book called It's Not That Simple, Helping Families Navigate the Alzheimer's Journey. She is also a family consultant uh, and a speaker. She has been through a 14-year Alzheimer's journey with her own mother, and she knows what it's like to make those tough decisions. And like most of us in the trenches, she has learned from the mistakes that she has made, and we all make them, and that has made her stronger um, for the process. So again, um, feel free to call in if you have some questions as we go on with our conversation here. And again, that number is 323-870-4602. Uh, welcome, Pam. How are you doing today? Thank you, Lori. I appreciate you having me on. I'm doing well, thank you. 
Well, I'm glad you could join us. I, I love your book. Um, and I love the title, It's Not That Simple, because it really is a complicated journey, not just due mm-hmm. to the diagnosis, but the way people react to it complicate things <laughs> and the the, oh. the mindset that we have in terms of being a caregiver or a care partner, I think really complicated as well. I have to compliment you because, uh, you know, I'm going to be 62 this summer, and boy, do I appreciate your large print. It just makes it so much easier. (laughs) Even with my glasses on, it just makes it easier and more welcoming. Mm -hmm. So kudos um, to you for doing that. Um, First, I want to ask you, you know, I had mentioned that you were on this journey with your mom. Can you just kind of summarize that in a couple of sentences for us when that journey um, started for you and what it felt like and where you're at with it right now? Well, so it started back in 2001 where mom went from being fully functioning to starting to have anxiety and forgetting things. And so I basically moved them in 2001 to Phoenix from New Hampshire so that I could watch over her because as is typical, Um, I believe that my father didn't really see the signs. He was so immersed in their life that he didn't see that he was compensating for her or that she wouldn't show him some of the uh, anxiety and concerns that she had about herself and her memory. And so basically uh, once I moved them here, they were here in a 55 and over community for a bit. Uh, And then in 2007, we moved, uh, and I talk a bit about this a little bit later, is we moved them into a community where dad could be independent because despite him being six years older, he actually uh, was, was totally functioning and both physically and mentally, and mom was not. So she was categorized as assisted. And then I specifically went out, uh, pursued a, a care community where the progression from one locate one stage to the next would be virtually invisible. And so they just moved from one two-bedroom apartment up a flight to the exact same two-bedroom apartment. They left for lunch. They came back. They did, all they did was go up one more floor, and, you know, mom was none the wiser. So having that, that integration and, and keeping her environment as stable as possible was one of the big lessons for me. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. For- in, in 2015. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's just nice for our audience to have a little little bit more background mm-hmm. there um, in terms of journey. You know, what was your inspiration behind writing the book? And again, the title is, It's Not That Simple, Helping Families Navigate the Alzheimer's Journey. So, in, you know, as my parents and I were going through this journey, and mom was going from those first signs into cognitive decline and then late stage Alzheimer's, I, I couldn't help but think, wouldn't it be nice if there was some practical step-by-step guidebook to provide some reassurance and to help manage my expectations of how long is this journey going to be? What was it going to feel like? What kind of emotions would I encounter? And how could I prepare for all of that? And so you know, I think most family members either don't want to talk about those four to eight years that are in their future um, because as the disease progresses, it it does become more complicated. 
And it's just easier to kind of bury your head in the sand. And unfortunately, and not that there's a good side to this, but, but with other diseases like cancer or COPD or heart disease, the problem's more physical and it can be treated with medication and mitigated. But, you know, the person themselves is, is typically, you know, pretty much whole. They're, they're still the person they were. Whereas with Alzheimer's and, and dementia in general, it's completely different and it catches you off guard because you lose who that person is. Sometimes it's on a daily basis. Sometimes it's on a weekly basis. And then on top of that, there's physical changes such as incontinence or lack of hygiene or forgetfulness or wandering and getting lost and, or worse, which, which is what's associated with Alzheimer's is them not recognizing people that they used to know or recognize places they've been So I desperately wanted to create a guidebook, and I, I, I was looking for someone else to write it. Uh, but as it turns out, um, you know, having some – I was looking for someone who had experience, who witnessed the behaviors, who felt those feelings and watched the disease that progressed. And so it turned out that was me. And that's not to say that, you know, there's over 250 books available about dementia and Alzheimer's, but each one has a different communication style and purpose and voice. So I wanted to actually make this more of a reference book with, with my stories, real-life stories, and, um, and be able to help family members with those difficult conversations and provide them with the actual wording to use when they're having these conversations, as well as understand what are the criteria for certain situations. When is it time to make – when do you start seeing the transition happening? So whether it was tips or tools – and the real life examples. And I'm happy to say that uh, the book was released in October, 2020, and it has 53 five stars reviews out of 53 reviews. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that it's resonating with people. Well, that's, that's wonderful. I don't think we can have enough books in this uh, segment. <laughs> it, is, it is so needed and it's nice to, and I, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but a lot of the libraries are now making a section on dementia. And so yeah. reaching out to the libraries, if you haven't, would be um, a great thing for you to, to do. Um, and maybe they'll add mm-hmm. that to their, to their collections there. Um, mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what kind of topics people can find in the book and, and how you segmented that down um, you've got, you know, in your in your table of contents, um, you break things down, but I'll just let you say it in your own words. Sure, sure. Thank you. So it's, just to let everyone know, it, it's about a three-hour read if you read it from cover to cover. However, it's really designed, as I mentioned, as a, a reference guide, and it has takeaways and conversation starters and that type of thing, and it's something that you'll refer back to. I think one person in the reviews said that they plan to keep it in their back pocket uh, as they go through this journey. And so one of the things that I start off with is the definitions of, of several different pieces of information that we as families of those with dementia or those with Alzheimer's encounter. And that's what's the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's. There's a lot of generalization or broad brush terms that are set that, that most people use and it's inaccurate, and it's, so we, my mission is to make sure that, that people actually understand what they're saying so that they call things by their appropriate, the condition appropriately. 
And then I also talk about memory tests that are available and the criteria, what to watch for, what behaviors are you actually looking for. So that kind of sets the stage for the next chapter, which is about talking about when is the right time to make a move to some sort of senior living uh, or care community. And that includes everything from how do you have that conversation, who do you involve, the length of time each conversation should be, and then actual wording on how do you start this conversation because it's a delicate conversation. And uh, I actually just did a presentation a couple weeks ago with a lot of coaching on, on how to do that. And so then moving into care options, the first thing I hear from family members uh, is that my, my mom told me she never wanted to be in a nursing home. And most options are not nursing homes. And, and so when they think of that terminology, they're thinking about their parents, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and maybe 80s, where now we have a plethora of options based on, on the need of the individual as well as the type of community they want to live in. And so it's really important for the family members to get educated on what's available for senior living, whether it's independent, assisted, memory care, skilled nursing, which is a nursing home. That's the only one, uh, correct nomenclature for that one. And, uh, or a group home where there's a community of people there in a smaller environment. And so then the other thing, because I lived through this, so I included it in the book, which is what if the care plans don't match? And so dad was independent, mom was assisted. So I kind of walk through, you know, how do you deal with if you have both parents alive and one of them is not uh, as capable as the other, what kind of conversations do you have with both them and the care community? And how do you ensure the least amount of disruption by managing both of those things at the same time? And then I move on to building your care team, which is chapter five. And it's everyone who's in your care team. So that can be your siblings. It can be other relatives. It can be friends. It's, of course, your primary care physician, your neurologist, your, um, you know, if, you're in a, if you have a loved one in the care community, the uh, executive director, <clears throat> excuse me, and the nursing staff. And so, you know, that's, you involve those people. And so we kind of talk about, when you involve them, do they, can they change and evolve? Uh, and then my favorite chapter is actually chapter six, which is dealing with the emotional roller coaster, which I think your listeners can empathize with. It's, it's the combination of the initial fear and resistance and denial. Then it's followed by anger and frustration because you don't know what to do. And then there's grief and sadness, but there's also some amazing moments of joy but you get those not from resisting your loved ones, but instead by joining them in their world. So that to me is <clears throat> excuse me, a really important part of the book and probably one that everyone can relate to. And then communicating in a brave new world. So words really matter. What you say, you don't call the activities center the daycare. You don't call undergarments diapers. Um, you know, there's just some words that we use that are demeaning. And the number one uh, tip that I would have for everyone is to allow your loved one, who happens to probably be significantly older than you are if you're an adult child, give them the, the, the right for dignity and, and respect. And use the words that you would want used in front of yourself, not to treat them uh, as if they're a three-year-old. 
And so I do have a tip sheet called They Say, You Say that helps with having those conversations. And then visiting your loved ones, it's an uncomfortable thing for some people to go into a care community. So how do you, how do you approach someone with Alzheimer's? How do you greet them? What do you do? It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with keeping up with the, the times and telling them what's happening in everyone's lives because they can't process that. So what type of activities can you do? And then how do you leave? I always felt tremendous guilt when I would leave. So I learned a way to do that where everybody was happy. And then finally, when the end is near, um, making sure that now is the time to read the book because when the end is near, you're, all of those necessary documents need to be in place. It's too late for your loved one uh, once they're in the late, mid to late stages of Alzheimer's. So you need to have those documents uh, in place. And then, you know, what are you watching for, for the signs of the beginning of the transition? Whether and what activities can you do to help them ease through the transition, whether it's playing music or <clears throat> singing or anything like that. So okay. that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. Well, sounds good. I'm wondering, um, you know, you had mentioned the roller coaster of emotions, and I think that hit, hits home with just about everybody. Can you explain what you mean by that and maybe uh, give us a, a tip of when that attacks? <laughs> you know, What can we do to, to help ourselves and yeah. to help our loved ones? Absolutely. So to me, and I can, I can share my journey and the journeys that I've witnessed uh, with others, but there's a lot of fear around dementia and uh, even mentioning the word Alzheimer's. And, and unfortunately, it, it, it's actually, you know, prevalent. Uh, one out of 10 people over 65 have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And there's other types of dementia, of course. And so there's a sense that I'm losing, I'm going to lose this person and I'm going to lose them while they're still alive. And then there's fears about, well, how do we make medical decisions? How do we make financial decisions? How do we make personal decisions? And then frankly, it's overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. So take a deep breath and, and understand that denial or just pushing it away is not going to solve the problem. It's better to follow the analogy of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time and, you know, take your decisions, you know, live one day at a time, figure out what it is that you need to do. And that's one of the things that, that why I wrote the book, but also why I started Alzheimer's Family Consulting was because these emotions will eat at you. They will ruin your relationships. They will, they will um, make it for an unhappy life. And I thought, you know, I need to help people build a plan. I need to help with strategizing and figuring out when do you move from one stage to the next to the next? Uh, how do you make those care transitions? And so, you know, it, it can go from anything where there's a lot of aggression. For instance, if when you're first having that talk with them to say, okay, when you're no longer able to care for yourself, um, what, what are your wishes? What would you like to have happen? And they may say, you're not going to put me in a nursing home. Well, that's where you have to back off and realize there's, there's resistance and there's fear because, you know, frankly, they're, they're just as scared as anyone else because they can see this happening. It's not that it's happening um, without them knowing it. And they are still in there and they're still struggling and they're scared because, they don't understand why they can't remember things and why they can't remember to, how to do specific things, whether it's tie your shoes or find, you know, open a napkin and find your utensils. 
And so they have fear, you have fear, and that's a bad combination. So one of you has to step back, and they can't, so that means it's on you to step back and say, okay, well, so what's, what's your big fear about um, moving into senior living? And use the right term. Don't call it a nursing home because that's not what it's called. And, you know, what is their perception? And if that's not reflective of reality, then let's brainstorm some ways to help them see an environment that's not a nursing home, but instead someplace where there's activities, there's nutrition, there's, there's people that are functioning very well, and show them that, that that fear isn't necessarily warranted. And so one of the things that I hear from family members as part of this emotional journey is, you know, that confrontation of I don't want to move, right? But here's the flip side to that is that when your loved one lives alone or they live with someone in the family, that's not really good for their mental health or your relationship. They may feel like they're a burden. And then that makes them combative and angry and frustrated because you're telling them what to do because they're in your house and because you potentially, because you haven't been trained on how to handle someone with dementia or, and, and you've had a long day and you've been working. And that's another thing is if you bring someone with, with um, any sort of mid-stage dementia into your home, somebody's got to quit their job. You know, you look at the financial side of this and that creates more fear, right? So, so there's this, well, what are we going to do about that? How are we going to solve this problem? And then there's that sense of anxiety. So another part of that roller coaster. And, and so what we want to do is <clears throat> then you feel like, well, they're not being appreciative of the fact that I'm helping them by, by providing a home for them. And, but then when you feel unappreciated and frustrated, then you feel guilty because it's not their fault. And then, of course, you feel resentment over the whole thing. Like, why is it that I just can't cope with this? And so there's your questioning yourself and did you do the right things? And so that's why I call it a roller coaster because I, I swear my stomach went up and down so many times in that 14-year journey. And, and so then a lot of times come with, with those emotions is the acceptance that you have to meet them in their own reality. And one of the biggest challenges for that is it's really easy to argue with them. So if they said that something happened five years ago, that's the way it happened. And whether they're right or they're wrong doesn't matter. And I always ask the question in the book, you probably saw this, do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? Yep. And so it's, it's, it's basically you're, you're not arguing with the person that you grew up with or if it's a parent um, or your spouse that you spent 60 years with, you're arguing with a disease and the disease will always win. So give it up, let it go, and, and understand that these last years, you want to look back on these, and this is my life goal at this point, I want you to look back on this journey without regret and without guilt. I want you to look back on it and say we did the best that we could with the tools that we had, and my loved one had the best years that they could. And ultimately, that's the emotion I want you to walk away with. So all of the advice in the emotional roller coaster and the tips, it's all about how do you make the best of this situation? 
now that you're in it. And it handles everything from visiting, because visiting was really difficult for me, Lori. Uh, I would, I'd feel guilty if I didn't. Uh, so mom was in the memory care community. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, from 2007 to 2015, uh, she, she would be a wand of risk. Um, she couldn't, at some point, she couldn't uh, feed herself, and then other points she could. And that's the other thing is when you walk in and you see her, you see your loved one, one day she, she said hello to me by name, and I hadn't heard my name out of her mouth for two or three years. Mm-hmm. And that brought me to tears because it's like, you do know who I am. And then on the flip side of it, you know, I would see her three days later, and she'd be, you know, sleeping and, and just not, you know, in a good mood and, and didn't want to do anything. And you have to be prepared for whatever you walk into. And I mentioned in the book about putting on your armor um, is that it's not, it, you're working with the disease and it's going to be variable. Make moments of joy when you can and just hold their hand and rub their back and be there for them because they know that you're there and and you just need to let them know that they're loved at this point. And so it's it's one of those things, whether you're visiting, whether you're just at the beginning of the journey, there's just so many emotions. And so that's why I created, you know, the book and, and the business behind it because, you know, you shouldn't be alone during this. And I felt like I was. And I, I want to help as many people as I can by helping walk, walk this journey with them. Okay. Well, wonderful. Um, I'm going to just do a couple of shout outs here and, um, and then we'll be back with Pam. Um, one is to the memory cafe directory. If you're not familiar with it, memory cafes are for people with dementia and their care partner. They're a great place to get that support with people who are like-minded um, Pam just said, you know, she kind of felt lost and alone. I know I sure did on, on on my journey with my mother as well. And a memory cafe can give you that peer support because even friends and family members don't always understand what it is you're going through, especially if you're a primary or a secondary um, care partner. The other is Dementia Map. And Dementia Map is a global resource directory that we just launched, but there's all different kinds of resources out there from um, books and consultants and videos. And um, uh, it's, it's just endless um, products, services, and tools. And then uh, speaking of tools, Coral Faith is a, is a company that is allowing people to download two of their apps free. One is Music First and the other is Coral Faith and music and um you know, similar prose, if it, if it is choral faith, um, you know, hymns and psalms and things like that can really calm a person down as well. So I would um, recommend that you check out all three, memorycafedirectory.com, uh, dementiamap.com, and choralhealth.com. And choral is C-O-R-O. Um, and then health. We're going to hear from the Foot Bar Walker, and then we will be right back with Pam. Introducing the life-changing Foot Bar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Foot Bar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. 
the foot bar walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The foot bar walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's the thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the footbar walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the footbar walker. Great. Let's get back to Pam. Um, she gave us such good information the first half of the show. And I also um, wanted to mention that I did go out to her website and she has a, a couple of downloadable pieces that are great too. And I'm going to have her uh, talk about those, if you don't mind, as well, Pam, because people are always looking for resources. So you've got one that talks about um, listing the specific tasks or appointments and who's going to be responsible. We have it in two kind of two different formats there. Um, can you talk to those a little bit? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so they're called Caregiver Tools. So the name of the website is, oddly enough, it's not that simple.com, so just like the book. Uh, so if you click on uh, tools, you will go to caregiver tools, and there's a weekly care planner, which is really important because as you create that care team, which you need to do earlier and sooner the better, and what that does is it allows everyone to have one place. So I put it in a Google Doc because that way when you save it for yourself, you can then share it with everyone on your care team. So for instance, if a sibling says, I can't pick up mom to go to the doctor's appointment, then there would be a notification to you an email from Google saying, you know, your document has changed. You would go in and see what the change is and be able to coordinate a new driver for mom for her doctor's appointment. Now, yes, we can all text and use our phones and that type of thing. But if you want to have a consolidated place for you to communicate who's doing what, and also for those people who live outside of, of you know, they might live out of state, uh, they might live out of country, to be able to keep track of what's going on. What did the doctor say? Do you have any notes that you could capture? It's a great a single location uh, for data and information about what's happening with your loved one across your entire care team. And then uh, there's a... Um, there's a care community comparison worksheet, which is also really helpful when you're looking at different care communities and trying to evaluate them. You want to do apples to apples. A lot of times, and I know we did this, uh, you walk in and you're very impressed with the layout and the lighting and everything, and then you have a lunch and it's very nice. But there, you know, it might feel like it's too big or it's too small or there's not enough uh, you know, activities going on. Whatever you're, you're, whatever you're looking for, whatever you're looking for, is is unique to you, uh, but more important, unique to them and their needs. And that's the reason why I always say start the conversation early. When someone is is you know maybe just experiencing mild cognitive impairment and that early stage of dementia, where they can say, I like this, I don't want this. I don't, I like that, I don't like that. And they're able to articulate that. My mom went non-vocal by 2008 
and I first saw those symptoms in January of 2001. So non-vocal means that, so she and I would have hour-long conversations all of my life. <laughs> uh, and uh, in 2008, those stopped, and she couldn't really put a sentence together. And so we lived seven years that way, communicating through uh, almost hand signals, where things that I knew growing up what she meant, but for the most part, I didn't hear her voice after that. And so knowing, getting that information from your, your loved one earlier is better. And so that's, um, that's a tool that you can use now to evaluate. And, you know, the other thing with care communities is they're not sitting there with empty rooms waiting for your loved one. And whenever you, you feel like, you know, now's the time. And the book does help you with criteria. I can help you with criteria in your specific situation as to when the time to move is and build that strategy and plan so when it does happen, you recognize it. But the flip side of it is there's waiting lists for a lot of these, these senior living areas, and you've, you've got it, you re, it requires a plan. There's a lot of demand. And then the other tool that's there is it's a daily care planner. So basically what it does is it provides um, the day of the week and then the task and the initials of the person responsible. And what that really does is keep arguments to a minimum within your care team. I thought you were going to pick her up. No, I thought you were, right? So, so that's really the purpose behind those tools is to really help everyone figure out who's doing what, uh, when they're doing it. And I, those two care planners are different formats depending on one's weekly and one's daily so that uh, if, if somebody prefers a different format, uh, they're welcome to it, but I wanted to give you something to print out and write down so that everyone could share it, but also be able to email it and that type of thing. Yeah, so thank and you for asking that. Well, and you do want to keep keep that chatter down in those kind of hot button moments because it's really easy to point mm -hmm. those fingers at one another, and that's not going to help any of you. Um, at all. So the more organized, the more simplified, the the less time you have to deal with touching or repeating something that's needed um, and the more streamlined you can be, um, it, the more comfortable everyone's going to be. It's going to really mm -hmm. reduce that stress level. I, I totally, totally believe in that. Um, I, I would love you to share with us, you know, what you think the two or three biggest assumptions that family members make when they're caring for a loved one with dementia um, you know, or, or some form of dementia or Alzheimer's disease. Thank you. And, and you know, it's <laughs> two or three. Wow, I probably have a list of a dozen. But uh, to narrow it down a bit, I would say, like, the first one is probably the assumption, feeling, thought, you name your, use your favorite word, that you as a family member can provide better care in, in your own home uh, or that your loved one is better off living alone in their own home than in a care community or a group home. And I say this specifically to mid to late stage Alzheimer's, but also even um, when, you know, the criteria for, for assisted living is that they can no longer uh, com complete uh, two activities of daily living. You'll see that abbreviated ADL, activity of daily living. And so the thing to plan for is that, yes, yeah, maybe they can live with you for a few months. Maybe that's part of your transition plan. Again, when I talk about strategy and planning, 
you can use this as the first step. And then you bring in, you know, some in-home care professionals who are certified in the type of care, which typically has to do more with stimulation and learning and function, as well as personal hygiene. Those seem to be the, the, the care professionals are brought in for. And then it's, at that point, it's time to start researching assisted living or memory care communities. So the assumption that you've got this is both brave and scary to me because you should not be trying to do this alone. Uh, the needs of someone with Alzheimer's, especially mid to late stages, are varied and severe in many cases. So for instance, um, if you told my mom to swallow a pill, like her medication, she couldn't do it because she didn't understand what you were saying. So Alzheimer's attacks, like plaques and tau proteins, attack different synapses in each individual. So some may be non-communicative, some may be combative. You, you don't necessarily know what you're going to end up with. So having a strategy and a plan based on criteria is really important. Kudos to you for thinking that you want to keep your loved one with you or have them live alone. But isolation is one of the things that accelerates dementia, as is non-stimulating activity, like putting them in front of the TV. So those types of things, those types of behaviors or of uh, handling your loved one with mid-stage to late-stage dementia is not really appropriate. And so the second assumption that I hear frequently is that, and this kind of ties into the first one, is that the, the family member, whether it's primary or secondary, uh, feels that they're strong enough mentally, emotionally, financially, and physically. And I throw in financially because with someone who needs this amount of attention, it, you, somebody's going to have to quit their job. So can you financially afford to live off of no income or one income while you go through what, in you know, our cases, it was an extended journey, but uh, four to eight years is the average time once diagnosed, nothing before that, once diagnosed, the stats show that a person who's diagnosed with Alzheimer's will live another four to eight years. So are you prepared for that. I mean, it's, it's an arduous journey, and there's help out there. And the, all the resources that you've mentioned, and, and just, gosh, go to the Dementia Map, DementiaMap.com, and just check out all the different things that, that uh, opportunities that are there, tools that are there, tips that are there, people who are there for you. Because ultimately, you, this care strategy that I continue to refer to is, is has to have those tools and tips and things there to support you. This is not a, a journey you should take on your own. And, you know, one of the things I forget is that when you get worn down, and believe me, I've had shed a lot of tears in the parking lot of uh, my mom's uh, memory care uh, community because yeah, I was just exhausted. I was, I was frustrated. I was sad because you're grieving. You're losing this person peacefully. And, and yet, when we have joyful times, I'd still be sad because it's like, oh, we had so much fun. She said my name. We painted a birdhouse. This was great. And I knew that it was, it was a moment, and, and every moment counts when you're with your loved one. So don't be on your phone and, and don't be emailing anybody or doing anything. Be in the moment because they know. They, they are hugely attuned to it. 
and to behavior. So they will be watching you while you're on your phone, unless you're going to play music, which is a favorite thing. I had specific music I would play for my mom. But, but really talking about the assumptions that you've got this, um, this is not your normal, normal disease. And so if you're worn out, then your loved one has, especially through the primary case, I was, even though I had a memory community, I was responsible for both parents. And, and once you're weakened, then your loved one has no, no warrior there, the you know, shield and sword is what one of my friends calls it. And so for the sake of them and for yourself, get support. Go to Dementia Map. Reach out to me, but find someone who can learn about your specific situation and support you on this journey. I mean, that, that's really the important thing. And then I think the third assumption would be that, um, you know, how do, what do I do on a visit? Like if I go visit um, my loved one with, with dementia and, and my number one piece of advice would be do something with them you know, bring some wood figures from a craft store and some paint and hand them a paintbrush. My mother had never painted. And the assumption we make is, well, they never liked to do that. Well, they aren't who they were. They're a blank slate at this point, And they will be a blank slate on every visit. So just because they didn't want to do painting last week does not mean they won't do painting this week. So you can basically have this box of goodies you know, um, playing music, you know, find a private place where you can listen to music and sing along. I mean, you know, and, and I swear we sounded like we were strangling cats, but mom and I used to sing to, uh, you know, Que Sera Sera by Doris Day or Perry Como or Dean Martin. Those were all her favorites. And then another thing was, you know, bring them tactile items, things that they can touch, beads, you know, things like necklaces or scarves with texture, uh, fur, like I, she had two stuffed animals that she absolutely loved, and a baby doll. If you have a, 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 a mom in uh, Alzheimer's care of some sort, be sure you give her a baby doll. There's like every woman wanted mom's baby doll, and so they had to get more baby dolls because. And then of course there was whose kids whose uh, issue, <laughs> uh, but it it was it was funny. I mean those are the kinds of things that we laugh at, but. Uh, having something they can care for and and touch, and hug and feel is really important. So stuffed animals are a big one. And to me, the most important thing at a visit is hold their hand, you know, stroke their arm, rub their back. You know, I remember there was a gentleman in mom's care community, and he would come up, like he'd tap you on the shoulder, tap, tap, tap. I mean, he was persistent. Like if you didn't turn around, your back was going to have a bruise on it. And he'd turn around and he'd pat his back, and and I forget the gentleman's name. And so I would I would turn I would be like, oh, you want me to rub your back? And he'd nod his head because he he couldn't vocalize it, but he knew what he wanted. And so you just rub his back, you know. And then I'd be doing something else, you know, showing mom something, and I'd be rubbing his back. They, the the concept of touch becomes so much more important, and it makes them feel connected. And that's why this pandemic is so difficult, right? between the social isolation and the lack of touch. I mean, we have a lot of time to make up for with these individuals. So those are kind of the three things that, that I think families come to the table and, and assume. So hopefully that wasn't too long for you. <laughs> no, 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 that was great. How about, I'd like you to talk a little bit about your view of senior care communities versus, you know, the nursing home. You had talked about um, early on about, 
you know, I promised I wouldn't move mom, I, I wouldn't remove dad um, into a nursing home. And, you know, the memories of nursing homes, if people haven't been in them in recent years, has really changed um, significantly. Yes. And so there's this fear. I mean, I remember I'm going to be 62 here pretty soon, but um, when I was 13 and my great aunt was in a nursing home and I I still remember that. I can still smell urine. I can still mm. see people not connected um, in wheelchairs with their heads hanging down, people drooling. Um, you know, it, they're just what there wasn't this connectivity, you know, going on mm-hmm. back in that day. And that's a very different place than what we see today and then what we see also in alternatives. So can you speak to that a little bit? We've we we only have about fifteen minutes left. We were just zipping through this hour. <laughs> oh, no, I know. I warned you that we could talk about this all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it it is interesting. I actually just had this conversation uh, last week with someone who said, "You know, we have to keep mom and dad at our house because we promised that we wouldn't move them into a nursing home." And I said, well, cheer up, because if you moved them, you wouldn't be moving them into a nursing home. You'd be moving them into assisted living or memory care. And I said, so they're not the same thing. And, and I said, literally, the type of activities, the nutrition, the engagement is very different than that of a nursing home. And so because I feel it's my role to assist in getting rid of some of that guilt and regret and feelings of betrayal because that's what they were feeling. And I said, no, that's that what they're trying to avoid, what they didn't want to experience, you're not putting them into that experience. And so in the, the difference between the nursing home, so that's skilled nursing, it's typically medical, right? So someone is passing from cancer and making that transition or or in some sort of a medical situation where they require 24-7 care, then that's a nursing home. And the, the difference, though, is easily in the past, I would say, 20 to 30 years, we've moved into care communities and senior living communities. So the whole purpose behind senior living communities really came out of the fact that Who wants to mow the lawn, do your own laundry, cook your own food? So the senior community, so my parents lived in that 55 and over community, and it was a senior community because they had a restaurant and a golf course. So if you didn't want to eat, you you picked dinner. You didn't have to. It was all reasonably priced for the senior income. And so was golf, by the way. And and they had a pool if they wanted to sit by the pool and entertain. And they had a backyard. But it was it was the first step towards what I consider resort living. (laughs) And we talk about that in Phoenix, but uh, it it really can be a relaxing, here's what you deserve. You finally made it to a retirement where other people will take care of you. And being independent and doing your own thing is not, it's not mutually exclusive. You can still do whatever it is you want to do. And it's true if you move to the next level, which is independent living, 
you still have, it's the equivalent of condo living, basically, because you have an apartment, and you come and go as you please. You can choose whether you eat at the restaurant or you eat out. You go drive to your own doctor's appointments and everything, but you don't have the labor and the work associated with home ownership and home care and home maintenance and personal maintenance. So you, somebody else does your laundry. It's, it's like having staff. And I'm, uh, actually, uh, on one of the presentations I did recently at a care community, she said, it's like having a docked luxury cruise liner. You know, you, you basically are weighted on hand and foot. And when you move into assisted living, same environment, but, you know, someone's there to make sure you're taking your medications because, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm 58 and <laughs> I'll be darned if I remember if I took my allergy pill today. And that's why my voice is hoarse. So I'm thinking my body's telling me, no, you didn't. <laughs> so I apologize for that. But, but it's, it's, you know, as we get older, the brain slows down. Um, we are not a generation of good eaters. So nutrition and exercise and stress all play into our current brain health. And uh, here's an interesting statistic is that Alzheimer's doesn't manifest until 20 years after we've committed the crimes that create it, for lack of a better term. In other words, the more stressed out we are, the poorer the nutrition, the less exercise we do, the more we make our brain health vulnerable to uh, diseases like Alzheimer's. So when we look at care communities, um, we're thinking more about, well, a transition, you know, I want to move from taking care of everything to somebody else doing most of the work and me doing a little bit. And so when you get to assisted living, that's more of, you know, maybe doing a reminder, hey, it's lunchtime. Uh, sometimes time gets away from us even no matter what your age is. Well, as you get older, that happens. So just a little nudge, that's what I call assisted living. And then oh. as things get a little bit harder to do and it's harder to function, then, uh, and, and we start, and there's actual criteria, and I talk about it in the book about the different memory tests, and I am adamant, and this is my opinion, so I can be, uh, but talk to a neurologist. Do not ask your primary care physician to do um, a, a memory care test on your loved one if you suspect that they're uh, declining rapidly. Go to a neurologist. They're the people trained in brain health and in the proper execution of the test. And once, you know, depending on how that goes, you should go back every six months and see what, you know, you've got a benchmark and now take a look at, at the progression rate and see what your plan should be. Be prepared. And then for memory care, honestly, I have, they, my mom had more fun. Like they had ice cream socials every afternoon and my mom loved ice cream. And, uh, and I got some when I visited too, so. But we would sit out on the patio, and there'd be a nice breeze, and I'd bring my dogs. And uh, my dogs were canine good citizens, so they were, and I asked for permission before I brought them. So those are some criteria for caregivers or family members who think, you know, oh, you can just bring your dog. Um, be sure you ask. It's, it's all about being polite. And, and, you know, she would do painting activities. Like, oh, she never painted. And so I learned more about her creativity and what she liked to do. And so I would bring her costume jewelry and we would put it on and we'd play dress up. And 
we'd wear floppy hats and they would have tea events uh, for the ladies and everyone would have these beautiful china, mixed, mixed and matched, of course, china tea sets. And it was just wonderful. And then they would have music every week with a live entertainer and she and I would wheelchair dance because she couldn't, she'd lost her ability to remember how to walk early on, like probably 2009. So mm-hmm. she was in a wheelchair those last six years. And so we would wheelchair dance. I would hold her hand and I'd spin around and I'd take the other hand and I'd figure out a way to move around her to the music. And she would move her arms and, and it was, those are the happy, joyous moments I was talking about. It's working with them where they're at and enjoying that moment. And a memory care community and an assisted living will provide you with those, those, that type of environment. But use the care community um, comparison sheet. It's on the it's not simple.com um, website because you want to make sure you're comparing apples to oranges. It's just like buying a house. You want to go at different times of day, make sure that it's the right community, and then commit to it for 90 days because this transition, you, you, you're going to need help with it because it's a new environment. And anytime you take someone with dementia or Alzheimer's and move them into a new environment, there's going to be resistance, there's going to be fear, uncertainty. Uh, and, and you're going to start doubting your decision. It's like, nope, let's just chill for 90 days. We'll visit them. We understand that this is a change, and it takes that long. So um, that's kind of my take on the whole senior care transition from senior living to independent to assisted to memory care, Lori. Okay. Well, and I think, uh, you know, I loved how you explained being able to see things you wouldn't have normally seen you know, with your mom, um, I, I had that same experience with my own and it was huge. It was, it was, um, it was a huge gift to be able to, to see that in action and to see the Mm -hmm. connections. And, you know, my mom had lived with us, um, for a while and then decided that she wanted to, um, to move into the nursing home because my dad was there. And of course, I was offended as a daughter. What am I not good enough? What am I doing wrong? And you know, I had nothing to do with, that's with all any about of that. You, not about her. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, um, you know, and then you step back, and then she had a clarity of of moments, um, which you know doesn't always happen, um, but it did. And she mm-hmm. didn't know how to pick out, you know, what what was what for the weather but in that moment she said we've been together 49 and a half years and I'm not leaving him now yeah and, it, and yeah. it was like wow and you know and so you know we have to let go of our ego sometimes and even though we're working really hard and trying to do the right things sometimes we don't know what those right things are and right. and that's and a, that's that's, a, that's where mm-hmm. yeah sorry and that can yeah, that can be a hard thing to admit sometimes, or just even to slow down to even think that, that that it's a possibility. Because I don't think any of us are are you know necessarily out there trying to think we're doing everything perfect. It's just that you feel this pressure and this oomph, um, and in your mind you've gone through what is logical, but logical doesn't always meet the heart needs. And that's what yeah. keeps us peaceful and, and connected. So, um, Pam, mm-hmm. I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us. And I want to make sure that we get to our listeners and let them know how to reach you. So you can go to Pam's website, which she mentioned earlier, 
uh, www.itsnotthatsimple.com. And you can email her at Pam at itsnotthatsimple.com. And then if you want to find her on Facebook, um, her Facebook page is It's Not That Simple Memory Care. It's Not That Simple Memory Care. And then um, you can just search for her on LinkedIn as well um, via her name. And her last name is O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. Um, we've got about three minutes left. Any any last uh, words of wisdom there that you want to shed uh, shed light on for us? Well, Lori, I actually just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for hosting me today and giving me the opportunity to chat with you about the book and, and my experiences, and also to thank you for all of the work that you do in communicating out to caregivers what tools and tips are available both on Dementia Map and then through these podcasts to let people know what, what's available. It's so very important. And, you know, the most important thing behind all of that is to let caregivers, let your listeners, and this is all to all of you speaking out there, you are not alone. We've, we've been on this journey, allow us to help. We know what it feels like. We know the decisions we made, and we learned a ton. Why wouldn't you just let us help? So that would be you know, my favorite my, my favorite way to end something. So thank you again, Lori, for the opportunity and for all that you do for the caregivers and those suffering with Alzheimer's. Well, thank you. And I would just add on top of that um, to our listeners is don't be silent about your own journey because no matter how little you think you know, you know more than someone else in need. Mm-hmm. And exactly. And reaching out that hand makes a huge difference. You know, when we just don't feel alone, um, that in and of itself um, can can settle us down and make us feel connected. It's not that somebody can fix our situation, but to know that somebody else gets it, because sometimes you just feel so lost because it's like, you know, why aren't, and it might be, why aren't my siblings seeing this or their friends? Why am I the only one that sees this? And sometimes it's because we're really good at hiding it and we don't even know that we've been hiding it because we've been so worried about dignity, which is important. But again, we have to also deal in honesty. If we want people to help, we have to let them know what the true needs are and, um, and I think that's one of the difficult things that people people struggle with. So, again, I hope you like, click, and share this show. Um, Pam, it's been fabulous to have, us, uh, have you on with us, and I wish you all the best of luck. And for our listeners, uh, you know, you want to go out there and check out her book, It's Not That Simple. Have a wonderful week, everyone. And on Thursday, we will be talking with the founder of the Nana's book series. It's an adult book series for dementia and engaging. Absolutely fantastic tool. You're not going to want to miss that one either. Talk soon. Bye now.